Good morning, everyone. Glad to hear some of you went high on above when Dan went low. <laughs> it's the way it goes, right? But yeah, you got to be up for that, going high. All right, uh, today is the first Sunday of our regular Sunday morning gathering schedule. Something very different for our church, but not all that different for the church, of course. Um, so uh, glad you're here, and uh, it is good to gather. I'm going to say a short prayer, and then we'll get into uh, what we're going to talk about over well, today and over the next few weeks and maybe months. God, may your spirit uh, attend to us, uh, incline our ears, our hearts, our eyes, <clears throat> our beings to you, and uh, just empower words that are spoken, even as you have inhabited songs, ancient songs that have been sung. And just draw us into your presence, and <clears throat> may this be real and life-giving and true this morning, or whenever we're listening to this, we pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, when God came to us in the person of Christ to bring us light and freedom and life, that is why God came to us in the person of Christ. Both the church, the religious institution of his day, and the state, the Roman Empire, did everything they could to shut him down. They had to because Jesus was preaching an out-of-control message, breaking rules, pushing back, and questioning on the establishment, leading his followers to question what's up and down and what reality is, just upended everything with who he was and what he taught. Wednesday night, I went downtown to take a few photos of this piece of Calgary public art, and the official title is Device to Root Out Evil, but everyone knows it as Upside Down Church, by an artist named Dennis Oppenheim, and the piece is described in part with this phrase, a steeple thrust into the ground and base raised up high as if to invite scrutiny from the heavens. And standing in front of the piece this week, I thought, this is what you did, Jesus. You turned it upside down and exposed it for where it's ugly and rotting before the heavens. And you did it so that it could be reoriented and remade anew, this upside down kingdom of God. He was showing us a whole new way of being a human being and a community of human beings. And of course, as the story goes, for that he was crucified by church and state, using their power to their fullest and ugliest extent, they killed him. Only, as the story goes, they didn't, not for long. You can't kill God. And so once Jesus resurrected from the dead, he then went on to lead his followers in a brand new way of being that was very much akin to how he was not following the empire and not following the religion of his day wholly. In the New Testament book of Acts, which is our new text for the next few weeks or months, talks about, tells the story of that new kind of church coming into being. 
and shows how a people of faith dominated by an empire, just the water that you swim in, the air that you breathe, you don't even think about it, and maybe for a whole bunch of us, dominated or have been dominated by a church, how to navigate between those two controlling realities, between religion and empire. The book of Acts guide us, guides us on a different path, a kind of third way, if we have eyes to see and hearts willing to follow that third way, that way that Jesus trod and calls us onto, a way much, much less traveled. And it's that road that we want to explore today and in the weeks and months that lie ahead. Jesus' radical new way of being a person of faith before the face of God. And then how do we collectively do that as a church? And so it's kind of like a reset for our community. We've been doing our thing for the last couple of years, mostly online, a bit in this space, and God in creation and God in the Bible, and how do those two connect, and preaching science and art and all those fun things, and we will continue to do that a little bit this fall, but and then maybe more in earnest into the new year. But for now, a kind of a step back and a reset as people of faith and a faith community, asking the question, what is this really supposed to be, and what isn't it supposed to be? And the idea is, as we engage God moving through Acts as a lens for God moving here, same God, we'll have echo, we'll, we'll experience echoes of, hey, that story is like what's already happening here in this way. And that story, well, that's new, but I think we ought to be on that path a bit more as a church and stop doing this other thing that was exclusive or too materialistic or... So, today, we're going to start with where Acts starts, the first chapter, the opening 11 verses of this book, and it's written like 2,000 years ago, right, in an ancient kind of way, and it presumes all kinds of knowledge, and there's all kinds of context, so you'll kind of we'll pick that up as we go through this series. But basically, it's written by a guy named Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He didn't call it that, but it was his story to a friend about what this Jesus did. And then Luke wrote a sort of a redux, a response, or a next order of things, book called the Book of Acts, to a friend named Theophilus. And it's a second letter. Um, it details what happens immediately after Christ's resurrection and the, the, the beginning of Christ's church. And it talks about new things that Jesus told his followers, a new way that he foreshadowed, things he didn't tell them to do or that they weren't going to know. And in overall, these first few verses talk about how totally out of control this is going to be people. And if you want to control this and make up rules and have synods and have church orders and figure it all out and box it in, not going to work, not going to play. My spirit can't move in that kind of playground. This is how it starts. In my former book, Theophilus, Luke writes, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, imagine this, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, and suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Bit of a long scripture passage, but and lots there, but four things that really struck me this week in the context of where we are as a church and where the Spirit is moving here. Um, and all of them, in a different way, from a different angle, involved a kind of giving up of control and a realizing that you, we have no idea, really, how to do this. And our ideas aren't necessarily the right ideas. So, first point, that part about Jesus hanging with his disciples and, and all of his followers for 40 days after the resurrection. That's a part of the story. I've always heard it preached. It was a proof. It was a proof. It was a proof. Look at it. It says right there in the Bible, he was alive for 40 days. Therefore, he must have resurrected, which is a very circular argument. Let's be honest about this church. Like, and if you're following Jesus because it's proven, because there's a verse in Acts that says that Jesus is real, well, this will, Jesus is real in ways that are bigger than, oh, there's proof. Jesus presented himself to them, and he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive, so part of it, he was there. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and this is what struck me, and spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus, for 40 days, and this is all we know about those 40 days, spoke parables that were never written down, and that none of us have ever heard. He did miracles, I'm sure, healing stories like the other stories in the Gospels. We have no idea. Gave instructions very directly to his people about what it means to be a follower of him and what this new church is supposed to look like and become and be. All of that, and we have no idea what Jesus said. All of this reinforcing that God's word cannot be captured between two covers of a book. And I am of a high view of the scriptures and of God's word there. But it, the Bible, does not say everything that God has to say. God is saying new things. 
all the time. Jesus does, did, and does things that we have no idea about and may never have any idea about. Because it's happening in Monique's life or it's happening in Edward's life and not ours. And I hope that's kind of unsettling <laughs> for all of us who definitively know what Jesus would do. We know what Jesus would do. It's right there. Only <laughs> he also did that. What do we know? Second thing that struck me in the opening words was Jesus' call to wait. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And how many times have we talked about, in this church over the last few months, about waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for what God would do here? And yes, so out of control, God gave you a mind and free will and agency and get out and do it. And yes, 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 but in the ways that we are sometimes prone to steward those gifts, no, not now, Jesus says. Wait on me. So out of control. We need to make it happen, God. This is me praying. I need to make it happen, God. No, you don't, John. This little community transitioning, something new bubbling up here, is God's church. The most important thing, the smartest thing we could ever do is wait for God's Spirit to move, learn how to wait, learn how to listen, learn how to shut up, learn how to attend to the Spirit of God, discern the Spirit's moves in the world, in the world that is you. God spoke all of history. God spoke the history of Acts. And God is that same God speaking this history, you part of this history. Acts is history yielding to the Spirit, wrote theologian Willie Jennings. Acts is history yielding to Christ, now resurrected. And, and yielding to Christ, that's Christianity 101, right? <laughs> Yielding my life to the Spirit of Christ so that the work of God and the glory of God can be spoken and experienced and be manifest in the world. And so we need to wait, still wait, and try not to over-control things. Change your whole church schedule up from everything you've done so far just go a little bit in this direction for a while, just to make sure, self-check, that you can let go. Talking to the leadership team, not me. Third thing that struck me 
is what Jesus didn't tell his disciples. They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And they had a certain idea what that meant. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his authority. Jennings on that particular verse says, the disciples ask the nationalist question, if you've been following the news, the nationalist question, when will we rule our land and become self-determining? And if we need, and if need be, although we wouldn't be the kind to do it like they do, but, and if we need be, impose our will on others. When, when does that kingdom come into play so we get to be that kind of person, Jesus? The disciples couldn't even imagine the, the upside-down kingdom realities that Jesus, that God, had in mind. All they knew about kingdoms was that they dominated and controlled others. So picture what's happening at the extreme ends of any argument that's being polemicized and playing out in our world today. We want the power. We want the power. We want to have decision-making control. We want what we want because we're right and they're wrong. Period. And we know definitively that's what Jesus would do. And so what does Jesus say to his power-prone disciples? He says, don't pick up the script of religion and don't pick up the script of the empire. Put that down because there's a new script authored by a new manifestation of the Holy Spirit going to show you a new way, which is antithetically humble and cares more about that other person who you may not understand, who may be living a different life than you, who whatever, but cares more about them finding their way and finding themselves than it cares about being right. A self-sacrificing, small, attentive stepping out into the world. Religion and empire, they want you to lock things into place, to keep them the way they are, to not break the rules and, you know, be mindless in your fealty. Because they want to be God. And they want you to be made in their image. Assimilate. Come on. Quit being such a troublemaker. We know what we're doing. Trust us. And again, that comes from two sides for people who are trying to find this road last travel third way that Jesus calls us to. The empire, understandably, wants to control the populace and maintain law and order. And the church, in response to the way the empire works, which is often in an atheistic way, feels threatened by that. And so it tries to over-control everything in its response to that controlling thing, and boom. The poles fall into place. Willie Jennings, the theologian I'm quoting and reading throughout this series, 
calls the church diaspora in this quote. He writes that in Acts we find faith caught between diaspora and empire. Faith is always caught between diaspora and empire. And then he goes on in a definitely long quote, but a very good quote with a great punch finish to say this. The Spirit of God intervenes between diaspora and empire, offering a new world to both. Both diaspora and empire have just cause for their visions of life. Israel and diaspora remembers correctly those whose aim was their elimination. Diaspora, Israel, was rightly on guard against those who would threaten its common life and its way of faith. It was clear-eyed about oppressors and liberators, friends and enemies, plans, and I- plans, ideas, and belief systems that would help them or hurt them. The Roman Empire was clear, too, about its supporters and loyal subjects or those who harbored sedition in their communities or their bodies. The Roman Empire was about building a world that made, made order a, mater- a material reality that everyone could experience and inhabit. Every people hold the dream of an ordered society, safe, secure, and productive. And Rome understood itself as the world's best hope, I'm hearing echoes of American exceptionalism here, the world's best hope for realizing that dream. Who would possibly imagine life, good life, apart from diaspora or empire? To imagine whole life, good life, Upon, uh, apart from diaspora or empire, comes only by the Spirit of God. It's that unimaginable. We must hear in the Acts story the pathos of life caught in the grip of diaspora and empire, of people angry, confused, and frustrated as the resurrected Jesus calls them to envision the new creature in the Spirit, which is what we are which is a mind-altering new life together, which is what we are. Right now, we are caught between what is very clearly and written about all the time, a flailing empire. People don't trust institutions. They, like, we are turning as, as human beings away from the system and the man, and it No, it hasn't worked the way they promised. Not for everybody. And people are doing the exact same thing with the church. What happened to that whole generation? They don't go to church anymore. Well, well, they saw that the ecclesiastical emperor had no clothes is what happened. And both ends for us people of faith they're fighting for our allegiance. The prevailing fantasy of people is to have power over others, to claim the power of self-determination, and to make a world bow to its will. Those are not Jesus' power dynamics. God's power is a power that works within you to transform you in ways that are totally out of your control and that, and that, are, that, that make you a whole new being, a whole new creature, a whole new people living together in faith. 
God does not coerce. God transforms. And in a way we can't imagine, like at the end of this passage, Jesus standing before all these people at the end of those 40 days and mysteriously, (laughs) mystically, what was going on (laughs) gets lifted up, ascends into heaven, taken up before their very eyes, a cloud hid him from their very sight. I mean, that one image alone should humble us in huge ways in terms of thinking we know how Jesus moves and how Jesus works, and then to think of where he was elevated to, Lord and King above the kingdom that is all creation over all time, now held in through and for him. Jesus moves in ways that sometimes you just go, I can't believe my eyes. And if we're not having I can't believe my eyes experiences in faith, maybe not all the time, if Jesus is always moving in predictable ways, uh, yeah, there you go, that old, always the same, we're in trouble. We should be surprised a lot by what Jesus is doing, what the Spirit is doing in the church. Because this is His church. And I think all I want, I think, all I want to do is get on with what you want to do, Lord, here. And here, right? In your lives. Don't we want this, right? I mean, to really fall in sync with what the Spirit is doing through your work or your family or your parenting or your And if it means for a few months talking about the competing voices and the deceptive whispers that try to control us to expose those for what they are in the church and in the empire so that we can move past them and then get on with what you have for us, God, then I am in for that. And so hopefully this is going to be a huge undoing for me and what I think I know over the weeks and months that lie ahead. One more point. Jennings makes a compelling one back to that 40-day period that we started off with about that not being just evidence of a resurrection, but also a time, and not just even a time for new teaching or new miracles or new parables, but also a time for his followers who've been tracking with this story and Jesus in a certain way, and then death resurrect what is happening at that point to kind of process what they've done. The, the friends who held him before his anguish and their anguish, before his abandonment and their guilt, who wished to see him one more time, hold him once more, maybe even now to say, I'm sorry, maybe now to hold him again, see him again, hear him again. This moment is more than proof. It is forgiveness. 
and reconciliation and peace. For them, then, clearly, if we're in this room, for us now. We didn't know. I'd never heard how that breakup happened with the church. They did that. But then I did that, and I've turned away from you, and I don't want to anymore. And if there can be a faith community where I can be this kind of person on a journey with Christ, together with others, trying as best we can not to control it all, all the time, trying as best we can to include the other message two weeks from now, trying as best we can to not get sucked into the whole vortex of materialism message three weeks from now, trying like with all we have, to follow and attend to the Holy Spirit everywhere next week, then I'm in. And hopefully you're in, right? Or you're in if you're listening or watching this. Because what else are you going to do with your life? <laughs> this is who Jesus is. This is what he calls us to. Let's pray. So help us to wait, Lord, on you, on your spirit, on your promise. Your promise made when maybe we were little kids and we were baptized, or when we were baptized when we were older, or when we uh, heard something about who God is and what God's love is all about that one time in life. The, help us to hold on to and, and wait for your promise to be fulfilled. Uh, first in us, I suppose, and then in the other, that is, the others in this community, and then in all the others who are in Martelouk, this community, our neighbors, and then this bigger community that is the city and our country and the diaspora out there everywhere, wherever your word would go uh, out of this little place. Keep your promise to us and uh, show us your face. Show us how true and real and beautiful you are. And may what we see change us from the inside out and empower us to do your work in the world. So hear this, our prayer. We pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.